what a way to tell people about the Presbytery of Southern California family camp when I get home. People are going to ask, how did the camp go? And I'll have to begin by saying we began the camp by mourning Len Sanchez's passing. <clears throat> I want you to know what a joy it is, not only for me to be back in Southern California, I don't know how many times I've been to Southern California, it's always been delightful, but I would come home and tell my better half, Margaret, you've got to see Southern California, and I have my better half with me for the conference. She deserves it. So you, you can uh, listen to me, and if you want to get pearls of wisdom, you can get them from Margaret. How's that? But uh, how many of you have been to New York City area? Wow. That's more than I've read Pilgrim's Progress. I bring you greetings from the Presbytery of Connecticut and Southern New York. Uh, we have uh, Metropolitan New York as our hub. And uh, I could tell that I was not in New York yesterday as we were driving on your freeways. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't have freeways in New York because every one of them costs. Metropolitan New York is the only place where when you travel from Long Island to New Jersey, you have to be sure you've had a loan to pay all of the tolls. It costs about $25 to go one way from Long Island to New Jersey. That's why we don't call them freeways. But here's how I knew that I was not in New York, and I'm not exaggerating. When I signaled to go to the right in the lane on the freeway, the person in back of me slowed down. And I, I thought maybe the person was drunk, because in New York, when you signal to go to the next lane, the person in that lane will speed up, literally, because New Yorkers don't ever want anybody getting ahead of them. So it was a very different experience driving on your freeway. And as I was getting on, the um, Len and Jeanette reminded me, they said, the, the freeways in Los Angeles are quite an experience. And I said, they're nothing like New York. The Long Island Expressway is called the world's longest parking lot. And if you don't know why, get on there at rush hour when it takes you about three hours to get a 45-minute trip into the city. But I, I love to tell people that the Cross Bronx Expressway, which takes you midway through the Bronx, South Bronx, obviously, to the south of you, and then the North Bronx, which is rather pretty, that's the, that's the worst portion of highway in the United States of America, literally. And there's signs when you get on it, and if they say, abandon all hope, you who enter here. So that, that's, that's the Cross Bronx Expressway. But anyway, but, it's, but it is wonderful to be in New York, in, in uh, Southern California, and to enjoy the time. Young people, I love having you here at the family camp. And Pastor Shishko has very sophisticated audio visuals for you. They're in your little booklet, or someplace you've got the Monday night draw a picture of the city of destruction. So I hope that your parents will give you writing implements or crayons or something. I didn't bring those. So you can draw pictures of what I'm saying. And I do love to see your pictures, incidentally. If you want to draw a picture of the city of destruction, you can draw a picture of the, man of the skyline of Manhattan. But uh, Now, let me ask you a question before we, before we begin this evening. And I want to read a text of scripture. Yes, sir. Oh. Make sure Margaret gets one, because she loves to draw pictures when I'm talking. So who needs the picture thing? Len, I thought you were, I thought you had passed. I'm going to give you a job. <laughs> Absolutely. This is my audio visual, courtesy of Great Commission Publications. Incidentally, for those of you who teach, the Great Commission Publications material on Pilgrim's Progress is excellent. And they have 
donated this map. But who's... Uh, All right, I'm going to put this up here. I'll let one of you post this thing someplace for all of us. Put it near the golden toilet seat. Okay, turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19 and verses 12 through 17. One of the things that all of us, each of us needs to keep in mind is this. We live in a wonderful, wonderful world. God made the world, he made it good, it's glorious to see the flowers, to see the trees, to see the people made in God's image. And nothing should ever take away from the wonder and the beauty of God's world. One of the things I remember about my past two camps here in the early part of the and uh, I think it was the, the early part of the 2000s, is the nature walk with Larry McHarg. Um, I mean, frankly, anybody who can believe in evolution after hearing those things, really something radically wrong. So you gotta keep in mind, we live in a wonderful world, but I've got to impress this upon you. We live in a world that is under a curse. It's under a curse because of the sin brought into the world by our first parents that creates a pollution far worse than the Los Angeles smog, and it's called the world. It's our own sinful nature called the flesh, and there's a very active and a very real devil. And whatever else you will learn in Pilgrim's Progress, you will learn of a very powerful world, a very, very strong flesh that remains even in new creatures in Christ, and also a very active devil. We will be sobered by these things this week even as I trust we'll be enjoying these presentations. Now with that in mind, Genesis chapter 19, this place is called Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot and his family are there, and they receive a special visitation. Genesis 19 and verse 12, the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city but he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord, being merciful to him, they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. And then in the book of 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, lest you think that this is some obscure item from history, the apostle Peter says Sodom and Gomorrah, that whole situation out of which Lot and his family were to run, and remember his family members were reluctant to leave the city, that's given for this purpose, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. By turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he, that is God, condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Let's pray together. And now our Father, we are weary from a day of travel, but we are excited about our time together. And thank you, Lord, for this time of the family camp. And our Lord, with all of the enjoyment of this story that we have before us, in the excitement of us, don't ever, ever let us lose the fact that this is a real picture of what the real Christian life is. And so grant the Spirit to us to that end. For Jesus' sake, amen. 
Anybody know in here, can anybody tell me why Pilgrim's Progress is like the books of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians? Anybody, I would imagine these young people are very attentive. Any, anybody know why the book of Pilgrim's Progress is like the books of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians? Here, children, good lesson for you. Anybody want to guess? Yes, sir. Wow. What's your name? David. David. Excellent. Like King David, right? Exactly right. Yeah, they were, the writers were in jail. The Apostle Paul was in prison uh, when he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And the author of this book, John Bunyan, was in prison as he wrote this. They had that in common. The title of the book, Pilgrim's Progress. Here you go. Here's a title that would never make it on Amazon. The full title of the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, from this world to that which is to come, delivered under the similitude of a dream, wherein is discovered the manner of his setting out his dangerous journey and safe arrival at the desired country. There you go. That's the title, the full title of this book that we know of as Pilgrim's Progress. It was written in 1678. It was written about the, no, it was about, even Raleigh Keller was not born at that point. <laughs> 1678, the first edition of Pilgrim's Progress came out, and John Bunyan was very convinced that the reason why he was put in prison at the time is so that he might write this book, which was actually written over a five-year period between 1667 and 1672. In the first year, three editions of Pilgrim's Progress were published. By the time John Bunyan died in 1686, next to the Bible, this was the most popular book in print. Over 100,000 copies have been printed by the time of John Bunyan's death. And since then, it has been called the most popular allegory in English literature. Its popularity until recently being second only to the Bible. It has been translated into over 200 different languages, and one person said, wherever God's word goes, Pilgrim's Progress goes. We all know, or most of us know, and you all should know, who Dr. J. Gresson Machen is. God used Dr. Machen to found the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And Pilgrim's Progress was, next to the New Testament, uh, one of Dr. Machen's favorite books. He spoke of Pilgrim's Progress as that tenderest and most theological of books, pulsating with life in every word. And we'll be hearing a lot of that word tonight. Just a little bit about John Bunyan, so you know about the author of the book. He lived between 1628 and 1688 in a place called Bedford in England. And you'll learn a little bit more about the main pastor of Bedford, England, a little bit later tonight. Between 1649 and 1654, John Bunyan went through an intense period of conviction of his own sin that he has chronicled in the book, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. He was converted, and I'm not commending this as a model, but it wasn't long after he was converted that he began preaching the gospel, and it wasn't long after that that he got put into prison. He was put into prison between 1660 and 1672. For over a 12-year period, he was periodically put into prison and then released because he would not comply with something called the Clarendon Code. The Clarendon Code required in England that you use what we would know of as the Book of Common Prayer with its specific prayers, its specific order of worship, and Bunyan was among those ministers who would not conform himself, as he should not have conformed himself, to the Clarendon Code, and he was put in prison. But during that time, written in stages, was the book Pilgrim's Progress. Now, what do you do with a book that was written about four, oh, it was 350 years ago? What good is that book to us today? Well, now, parents, you can begin using your little booklet why is a book written almost 350 years ago still relevant to today? Number one, Pilgrim's Progress is thoroughly Protestant. It's a reminder to us, especially in this year of the 500th anniversary 
of the Protestant Reformation that we are not Roman Catholics and we are not even generally evangelical. We are deeply Protestant in our convictions. And there are sections in the unabridged Pilgrim's Progress uh, that bring that out in ways abridged versions do not. Uh, so parents, whether you use a, the accurate revised text of Pilgrim's Progress that has been done very well by Barry Horner, or whether you use the Banner of Truth edition, get an unabridged edition, even if it's updated, and you'll see that Pilgrim's Progress is on the one hand thoroughly Protestant, but it is also thoroughly Catholic, small c. Whether people are Presbyterians, Orthodox Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, Lutherans, or whatever, all can read Pilgrim's Progress, and as with C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, they will learn very basic things about the Christian life that I'm sorry to say are no longer basic things in common evangelical teaching. One of the reasons why Pilgrim's Progress is perennially important. Number two, why is Pilgrim's Progress relevant still today? It is a model of the piety of our standards. John Bunyan would not have adhered to uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith in its fullness. He was a Baptist. Most of it he would have adhered to, as most Protestants did. And those standards, brothers and sisters, don't only speak of things like God's decree, election, the nature of the atonement, the doctrine of Christ. Our standards represent a particular view of the Christian life, a particular view of piety. And it has always bothered me. I don't hear this as much as I used to, but it has always bothered me in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church when I have people sneer at the Puritans. Now, there were things that were excessive in the Puritans, and we ought not try to preach like the Puritans. I have a hard time even saying 61stly, let alone preaching 61 points. But in the mainstream of Puritan piety, you have the piety represented in our standards. And Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, in ways we'll get to explain in a moment, beautifully open up what that piety is. So it is a model of the piety of our standard. For example, when the scriptures speak of conflicts without and fears within, marking the Christian life. That's very different than singing that little ditty that ends with, and now I am happy all the day. There are many challenges in the Christian life. Pressing toward the goal, pressing toward the mark, as we love to speak of in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, in a day in which we see easy believism on steroids, we're in need of Pilgrim's Progress and its emphases. Now, I'm not uncritical of John Bunyan, and you'll learn that as we go through. There are areas that I think um, one we'll get to tonight could be refined a bit, uh, but there's so much good in this that we want to learn. Okay, number three, reason for the relevance of Pilgrim's Progress. It's a story. And in our post-modern age, that can't connect the dots, not even can't connect the dots well, can't connect the dots of the story of life at all. What a wonderful story. The Bible is stories, they're true stories, and we all love stories. Let a preacher say, let me tell you a story. And you know what happens when you children even hear that, oh, finally. A story, okay? We're going to hear a lot of stories tonight and stories that we're going to read portions of as well. And so especially to appeal to this age. So the ministers in our midst here, I hope you know how to tell stories. I hope you practice reading stories, not just silently, but reading them out loud because you've got to tell stories to our day because our culture needs story. If we're going to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves, if we're going to be 
like the sons of this age who are shrewder in their generation than we are as ministers, we're going to learn to tell the stories that captivate attention. And wow, Bunyan, Bunyan really did it in Pilgrim's Progress. Number four reason. It's concern for salvation. We're often not strong in that in our circles. De facto, people are baptized, they're catechized, they profess their faith, they come to the Lord's Supper, they're good Orthodox Presbyterians. And that can lead to a formalism that's an engine to send people to hell. And John Bunyan was deeply concerned for the salvation of individuals. And this book teaches us in its fullness to be concerned for genuine, genuine works of grace in people. Number five reason, I want to convince you why it's so important. We haven't even got to the book yet, but we will, we will. It'll happen this evening too, you watch. Fifth reason, we're still pilgrims in a world that hasn't really changed all that much from the day of John Bunyan. And we're not living in a day in which religion is enforced upon us. That is, well, we are living in a day in which religion is enforced upon us. Any questioning of the prevailing orthodoxy of evolution brings about tremendous opposition. Ask Larry McCarg. So it's a day of enforced religion. It's just a different enforced religion. It's not the enforced religion of the established church. But we are still pilgrims in a world that hasn't really changed. Tomorrow morning, you children will be in your classes. But adults, we're going to be reminded again of this character named Mr. Worldly Wise Man. That will describe probably more than one of your neighbors or how about this one, Mr. Money Love. I realize that this book was written 350 years ago, and probably there's nobody like that in California or New York, but just think about it for a moment, a character named Mr. Money Love. Or how about Mr. Save Self? How's that one for a character, Mr. Save Self? Or, and again, I know this was written 350 years ago, but, but try to relate this to today, the character named Mr. Love Lust. Sound familiar? Or the slew of despond, or giant despair, or doubting castle, or vanity fair. And if you want something that will keep you up late at night, we're not going to cover this character this week, we don't have time. The scariest character in Pilgrim's Progress is not Apollyon, it's talkative. Toward the end of Pilgrim's Progress, there were interspersed meetings with this individual named Talkative. I've met dozens of them, some in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and you have too. And you learn, you learn a lot. You know, as I was mentioning yesterday at Branch of Hope, people say, boy, you pick on the Orthodox Presbyterian Church a lot, don't you? I said, well, I'm part of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And the Bible says, you know, they say, why don't you criticize the Arminians? The Bible says, pluck the beams out of your own eyes. Let the Arminians pluck the beams out of theirs. I'm not an Arminian. I'm an Orthodox Presbyterian, but it's done with the greatest of love for the OPC. Pilgrims, and of course the scriptures speak of that. Hebrews 11 and verse 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. We are strangers and pilgrims in the earth. And for this church that has emphasized as much as it has that we're a pilgrim church. Pilgrim's progress ought to be something that's very, very much a part of our spiritual diet. So, I hope I have convinced you that this book written 350 years ago is very, very relevant to our age. And so, Pilgrim's Progress, a discourse on all of the challenges in the similitude of a dream all of the challenges of going from the city of destruction 
to the celestial city and we'll begin tonight celestial the city of destruction and then Thursday night God willing the celestial city John Bunyan writes Dan incidentally here is the Bedford jail and rags here are the filthy rags of self-righteousness Pilgrim's Progress as I walked through the wilderness of this world I came upon a certain place where there was a den, his prison. And I lay down in that place to sleep. And as I slept, I dreamed a dream. I dreamed, and behold, I saw a man clothed in rags, standing in a certain place with his face turned away from his own house, a book in his hand, and a great burden on his back. I looked and saw him open the book and read therein. As he read, he wept and trembled. And not being able to contain himself any longer, he broke out with a lamentable cry, saying, what, what, what shall I do? The beginning of the book, Pilgrim's Progress. Turn to your Bibles for just a moment to Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. I want to talk with you about, for just a moment, about our natural-born citizenship. There are those who teach that anyone who is baptized should never ever speak of having a natural-born citizenship, for from the time of baptism they're always and only to be regarded as children of grace. I think the Apostle Paul was a covenant child. And I know that the Apostle Paul wrote these words. Ephesians 2 and verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, think city of destruction, following the prince of the power of the air, think the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, think the flesh, which is a realm. It's a realm dominated by that which is against God and working within. World is kind of out there, flesh is within. So you have the world, the devil and the flesh, among whom you who are Gentiles by nature once lived. Paul doesn't say that. Paul, child of the covenant, says among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were, we were by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Beloved brothers and sisters, by nature, that's you and me. By nature, you're not Orthodox Presbyterians. By nature, you and I are children of wrath. Now, when you say that sounds like something a Baptist would say, you're right. It's also something a Bible Presbyterian, a Bible, Biblical Presbyterian would say, because the Bible says it. I want to tell you about a man, a man I know very well. He was a product of the 1960s in which a whole generation was influenced beginning in 1965 by a song called The City or Eve of Destruction by a man named Barry McGuire, who interestingly became a paradigm of many of those who listened to that song. That man who composed a song that still speaks today about a culture under wrath, became a Christian, escaping the destruction of what she sang. 
And I know of a man in that generation who also was delivered out of that time. And that man experienced the same thing John Bunyan did in what we would know of today as effectual calling. See, those who are part of that city of destruction are described in verses 1 through 3. But those next two words in your Bibles, the first two words of verse 4, are probably the most important words in the Bible when it comes to dealing with salvation. But God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That describes beautifully what is called effectual calling. And that man that I know so very well, so much like John Bunyan, these are the things, and you can see them under the marks of effectual calling, one, two, three, and four. They were true of Bunyan, they were true of this man I know very well, and what are they? Number one, effectual calling begins with conviction of sin. Effectual calling is a work of God's Holy Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery. John Bunyan and that man I knew well were convinced that they had only an outward righteousness. And that self-righteousness was filthy rags. It's a far, far more, a far more awful picture than what you might initially think of when you hear that phrase. Conviction of sin that is serious sin, so serious that it kept Bunyan and the man I know well awake. My iniquities have gone over my head like a burden too heavy for me. What must I do to be saved? Folks, do you know something of what it is to have had the burden of sin on your back? And if you're here tonight and you still have that burden, I'm going to give you some different counsel than Bunyan got. But that's the way it begins. Conviction, convincing us of our sin and misery. And then that man I knew well, and John Bunyan, came upon two things, a book and a pastor. The Bible was that book. Bunyan read the Bible, but it only made his misery increase. And brothers and sisters, will be part of the application a little bit later. But I want to convince you, I want to impress upon you that while we believe the Bible alone is our final authority, we're not meant to live with the Bible alone. We're given the Holy Spirit. In fact, there'll be a whole unit tomorrow night that includes what the Holy Spirit does. Fascinating. But remember the Ethiopian eunuch, as he was reading Isaiah, said something that stuns the modern mind. He's asked by Philip, do you understand what you read? He says, how can I understand unless someone teach me. And while we never lap into the error of the Roman Catholic Church in which there must be a magisterium that officially declares these things and we are bound to submit to them, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You need not only a book, but you also need a pastor because you see Bunyan got a little bit of increase of his misery reading the Bible, but it took a pastor, a kindly pastor as he put it, Pastor Gifford to whom Bunyan went, and the kindly pastor asked him, what is troubling you? And Bunyan explained the burden, and kindly pastor Gifford said to him, sir, 
It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. And God used that to work in Bunyan, that he had to do something about his burden. Now, dear kindly Pastor Gifford, probably didn't give the wisest counsel at this point. Bunyan was told, look for the narrow way, the wicked gate, and look for the light that's ahead of you. But if you don't realize the narrow way is Christ and the light is Christ, that's kind of confusing. Because for you with your burden, you go one place and you go immediately. You go to the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the only one who can take that burden off of your back by the cross. Now, we're going to come to that tomorrow night. But it takes Bunyan a little while to get there, even as it took that man I know a little while to get there. And he got into some trouble along the way, which I don't want you to get into. But he's directed to go the narrow way. He has a book in his hand and a kindly pastor to direct him. And very interestingly, that kindly pastor did impress this upon John Bunyan. He didn't say to him, pray the sinner's prayer. He didn't say to him, sign a decision card. Kindly Pastor Gifford impressed upon Bunyan as a kindly pastor impressed upon the man I know very well. He said, you want to follow the Lord rightly. It's a whole life commitment. The world was not changed upside down by Christians simply saying Jesus is the Savior and putting a fish symbol on their bumper stickers. The world was turned upside down when against the empire that said Caesar is Lord. The Christians said no, Jesus is Lord. And if we're going to follow him at all, we will follow him with all. And kindly Pastor Gifford said that to John Bunyan. So that's number two, or number a book and a pastor. Then number three, this isn't in our statement on effectual calling, but it's in real life. Effectual calling will bring you opposition. It will bring opposition in many cases within your own family. If you're a first-generation Christian, as the man I know well was, as Bunyan was, you're going to have opposition from right within your family. This is why in Pilgrim's Progress, although not in the sequel, Bunyan's wife and children don't go with him. It's to represent Matthew chapter 10. The servant is not above his master. If they despise the master, they'll despise you as well. Family, friends, teachers, why do you have such a fear of death? Why, why have you gotten so serious about religion? You're crazy. What are you, part of a cult? Or this one? You're going to waste your life. This man that I knew well was told by his own relatives when they realized he wanted to follow Christ, his whole life would be a waste. That's the kind of opposition that will come from friends in school, from your neighbors, sometime within your own family when it comes to following Christ. So opposition is part of effectual calling. But then the fourth is this. It's a resolve. Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing our minds, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ that comes from the Bible, pastors teaching you, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills. Bunyan's will was renewed, and he fled out of the city of destruction, as you'll hear in just a moment saying life, life, everlasting life. Folks, if you really follow Christ, your whole life is a pilgrimage. And I don't have to go into all the characters of Pilgrim's Progress, but your whole life will be a following the Lord such that there's going to be an awful lot of things 
You're going to have to stop up your ears too. There's a lot of places you're not going to let your feet go to. And a lot of thoughts you're not meant to think. But you will have such a wonderful path to follow that its riches will far more than compensate for all those things that you must leave behind. Now let me wrap all of this up tonight because I know I've got to late 15 and watch Wonder of Wonders. I'll stay within the time frame. Here we go. Four flight school lessons for 21st century pilgrims. Flight, here you go. You're in, what did you do at family camp after you mourned Mr. Sanchez's passing? We were in flight school from that first night. Here we go. Four flight school lessons for 21st century pilgrims. Number one, and number one's got two parts. Two profound convictions you must have for flight school in the 21st century. Number one, the wilderness of this world, not the things in the world that in themselves are good, but this world under the pollution of sin. It is a world of curse and judgment and lies. It is a world in which the Apostle Paul does not say the wrath of God will come. He says, particularly and clearly in the book of Colossians, on which the wrath of God comes. God's wrath comes like storm fronts. Sometimes there's hail, sometimes there's rain, sometimes there's a little hiatus with what seems like sun, but get ready for it. There's all forms of that. It's the wilderness of the world, this world, and by nature, second, second of these profound convictions. By nature, we are under curse and guilt and judgment, and never let up on that. Never, ever, ever, ever. Those who do not believe the Son, Jesus says, on them the wrath of God rests. See, if you are here, and Christ is really not your Lord and Savior, there is a cloud of God's wrath that rests upon you now. And you have no guarantee that you will live to see tomorrow as a day in which that cloud of God's wrath is still on you because that wrath of God may envelop you if he takes you tonight. And I'm serious, folks. That's how urgent salvation is. Two profound convictions. This world, because of its sin, is a wilderness, and by nature we are under curse and guilt and judgment. To put it very bluntly, we are all born with terminal cancer. And unless you have the chemotherapy of the atonement of Christ, sooner or later you're going to die and be in hell. That's the real world. First profound conviction to these two profound convictions. Number two, and there's two of these, our two greatest needs, a map, the Bible. The Bible is our map to direct us to glory. And a guide, you need a pastor, especially in our day, because there are so, so many false teachers Far more even than in Bunyan's day, he didn't have the internet. You've got to have a trustworthy pastor. And that is one of the great blessings in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. We can tease, oh, your pastor went to cemetery. Oh, I'm sorry, I meant seminary. You know, our pastor did go to seminary. And he learned the Greek, and he learned the Hebrew, and he learned theology, and he learned church history. You know why? Because the Bible says that a minister must be able to cut a straight course through the Word of God. How is your pastor trained to do that? Say what you will. Praise the Lord for those standards. A map. So two greatest needs under these four flight school lessons. A map and a guide to tell you that the Bible tells you about Jesus. And then number three, flight school lesson. I know I've got three minutes left. Here we go. Here's what you will get as you go through flight school and begin to fly. 
from family, from friends, from co-workers, and so on, you will get opposition. You know why? Because you are being snatched from one kingdom to another. And every day, the devil would love to get you back in his jaws. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And even as a post-millennialist, I believe that. Long chain. Do you believe that? Peter writes to people just like us, to Christians who are out among the pagan nations. Don't forget, the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the devil, and the devil will try to get you. One of the things I want the man that I've asked to preach my funeral for. I got it all set. Franklin Square Church building where I preached for 35 years. Hopefully they'll let me have my burial service there. Or funeral service. And I said to the man that I've asked to preach my sermon, this is what I want you to do. You better do it. Because if you don't do it, and there's any way I could back give you a spanking, I'll do it because he's the son of the Lord. So when that casket's being rolled out the center of that aisle, I want you to say this when you get to the end. Brothers and sisters, the devil lost another one. That's what I want. Remember that. I've said that. It's even, even put my statement of what to do at my funeral. Okay, real quick. I've got a minute left. What you must do. Here's what you must do in your flight school. Don't stand still, folks. Abraham was called to move. The Israelites were called to move. And the challenge is for your whole life. In every corner, in every place, in every occupation, in every state, in every stage of your life, flee from the wrath to come. And yes, follow the light of God's word, that light always leading you right away to Christ. You always, always, always come to Christ for your help, for your strength, for your forgiveness, for grace, always come to Christ. Skip the wicked gate and the light. Just come to Jesus, folks. That's what you need to do. And don't look back. You resolve. One of the scariest verses in the Bible. Three words. Remember Lot's wife. And I think the Holy Spirit just kind of highlighted those three words because you stop to think of what that means. Don't look back, folks. Don't ever look back. Sometimes people get their testimonies on how they were saved, and you think they may want to go back to that life. Because here's the issue. Everlasting life or everlasting death for everybody. And just a note on John Bunyan's family. The Baptist comes out in John Bunyan. He's fleeing to heaven his wife and his children are left behind. I don't like that. Now, he wrote a second book, maybe because he felt guilty about the first one, about how his wife and children did finally come to the Lord. That's good. But folks, husbands, you work to bring your, li- your wives along with you. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ as the Savior of the body. In, in Christ, you have a responsibility to get your wife to heaven. That's the same thing with your children. Bring your children up in the Lord. And so there I wish Bunyan had been a little bit better. But let me balance it out with this. God has children, but he doesn't have grandchildren. And there's not one of us in here who will get to heaven on the coattails of mom and dad. Why are you an Orthodox Presbyterian? Because my mom and dad were. Mm-mm. You'd be an Orthodox Presbyterian because it's a church that seeks to be faithful to the Bible in everything. And you know you need to flee from the wrath to come. So the way the beginning of Pilgrim's Progress ends. So I saw in my dream that the man began to run Now he had not run far from his own door when his wife and children, perceiving his departure, began to cry out to him so that he might return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran, crying, Life! Life! Eternal life! And he did not look behind him, 
but rather fled toward the middle of the plane. Tomorrow morning, adults, we're going to find out some of the people you meet along the way. But that's enough for today. Let's pray. Lord, we are sobered. It's good for us to realize, especially in this, even in this idyllic place, that the whole world lies in the power of the wicked one. And by nature, we are in first Adam. By nature, our father is Adam the first. And our God is surely, as surely as we have heard the gospel preached tonight. Adam the second, the last Adam, calls us from heaven right now to be like John Bunyan, to be like the man I know so very well, but to be those who individually, younger or older, if we've never done this before, commit ourselves right now to flee from the Sodom and Gomorrah of this age, to look to Christ, to put our faith in him, to by your own grace have him as the center of the universe of our lives, and to so move our God that every step of our pilgrimage only brings us one step further away from hell and one step closer to glory itself. And now, our Father, be pleased to grant your blessing upon our fellowship and upon our sleep this evening. Give us sleep as your beloved people and unite us tomorrow for that wonderful blend of prayer in the morning and our feasting and our instruction in the morning and our time of activities. Might you be pleased, our God, to keep us safe from harm. We count it no small mercy that when we're talking about swimming and archery and other things, uh, that there can be accidents. Protect us, we pray, for those of us who have family members in other areas. Watch over them and keep them safe. But above all else, our God, make these days away to be days in which by the Holy Spirit we are made different people to the glory of that great change agent, Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen.